Hi, and welcome to the King of Thirst podcast. My name is Abigail Kelly, and I'm here today with Jeffy Kennedy. Hi, Jeffy. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing this fine day? Uh, I am doing well. It's a little snowy here in Santa Fe, so uh, you know, it's springtime in the Rockies. Yeah. I. You know, I... Uh, I've never been to Santa Fe, but it looks gorgeous. I've seen many a documentary. Have you? Yes, Santa yeah. Fe is a um, beautiful, beautiful city. We we moved here on purpose because we wanted to be here. <laughs> you didn't want to move someplace just with d- the ugliest of architecture and terrible culture. Well, you know, a lot of people end up living in places for other reasons, because yeah. of jobs or because family is there or because that's where they grew up or what have sure. you. So that's why I make the distinction that we were actually... We lived in Wyoming for 20 years, over 20 years, and it was like we wanted to go live someplace with a different aesthetic and different values. Yeah, I I really want to visit. Um, I know that there's a lot of like really beautiful art in Santa Fe. Um, I have unfortunately have not gotten there. Have you ever been to San Francisco? Oh, yes, many times. Yeah, that, this is my hometown. This is where I'm from. San Francisco's uh, awesome. Uh, it, expensive. That's our, you know, that's our hallmark. <laughs> it's it's just kind of the brand at this point. It's very expensive, but the people who who love it uh, will fight to the fight to the death for it. So uh, yeah, I don't blame you at all. Yeah, um, but Jeffy, today we're talking about you, and let me tell you, I like I knew you had been in the romance game for a minute, um, and then. I went and I looked at your backlist and I looked at your bio and I was like, oh, so Jeffy's done everything. <laughs> uh, and I and I had this thought where I was like, yeah, but we'll talk about our books and stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I think like obviously your books are super interesting and you write a lot of really amazing like high fantasy, just these epics. Um, I was I just went through your backlist and I was like, oh, so these are all like 400 page long, absolute monsters. Jeffy, you maniac, you absolute mad lad. Um, but I, I also I today I really want to talk to you about your career and you you've been publishing what for 25 years, right? Yes. And I I cannot... Uh, so I have been a bookseller for, God, four years now. I have been in the the romance ecosystem for, like, two. Um, and so I... I but I had this moment where I kind of got, like, vertigo, where I was just sitting there thinking about how I feel like week to week, things change massively in the ecosystem. I cannot imagine what it must be like to have the scope of 25 years of being in this, in this ridiculous whirlwind, extra dramatic industry. Um, and I, I would love to talk to you about how you uh, have done this thing, how you got here, how, why you chose to enter in here. And also, what what has it been like to watch everything change? <laughs> well, you know, you and I talk to each other sometimes on the uh the fantasy romance discord uh, discord and and we have a joke where i'm often shaking my cane uh, on <laughs> because i do feel that way sometimes i'm just like yeah you kids just get off my lawn uh because there does come a point where 
you do feel like you've seen it all before. And so, yeah. you know, people will be getting upset about the kerfuffle du jour. And I'll be thinking, I remember back in 2010 when we did that exact same thing before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, it's, um, in some ways it's good because as you observe about the publishing industry, mm-hmm. is it, is an industry of ups and downs. I mean, yeah. it just waxes and wanes and it seems to be the nature of the beast. So after, now that I've been around for a while, I get a lot less excited about stuff in a bad way. I mean, it's like, I don't get as disturbed because I know that it's just going to, you know, it's just going through the cycle and it'll cycle around again. And that's that's a good place to be, I think. I imagine it is a much healthier space than the constant loop of outrage that we that we are in, um, which, I mean, has its place. Right. Like we should be examining things. We should be talking about things. Absolutely. You know, we should just let things lie and, you know, fester. Um, but at the same time, it does feel like we have the same conversation, you know, once a week. It's, you know, Oh, is romance should romance have a happy ending some bro comes in and is like i wrote a romance but it you know they both die at the end don't say it's not a romance yeah, i came up with this amazing way to invert the trope and yeah yeah or it's, it's, is sally rooney a romance novelist no she's literary fiction because you know her stuff is more sophisticated right be quiet be quiet um or you know we have that like i this just the the right now I was thinking about this morning how we have the whole controversy that we have like nah, about once a month over somebody gets mad at a reviewer or somebody gets um, angry at an author for saying something about a book and it's like what is the space for reviews what is the space for readers and I imagine that over the course of you know a whole career of watching this stuff it's just kind of like oh yep seen it and then you just promptly block out that that's happening at all and continue on your merry way doing the stuff that you do. Yes, I do do that to some extent. Um, It's kind of interesting being in the position that I am now because you mentioned that I'm uh, president of, or did you mention that? I didn't mention it. I was going to mention it just now. You're the president of the Science Fiction Writers of America. Science Fiction Fantasy Writers. I'm sorry. I would I'm so, I write fantasy. I'm so ashamed. Be ashamed. It's a silent F because it's (laughs) SFWA. And so, yeah, it's, it's confusing. Uh, A little bit of uh, trivia on that. It was originally founded as the Science Fiction Writers of America mm-hmm. and Anne McCaffrey got into a big fight with Jerry Pornell and talked him into that it should say Anne Fantasy. Anne McCaffrey? Oh my god. Yeah. Who, uh, former <laughs> president of CIFWA. So, you know, I'm following oh. Anne. Big shoes there. But oh, yeah, you know, it's like, go Anne. I love that. I have I have her books on my shelf right now. Yes, I have a whole shelf of them. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny being sort of in this position of authority as much as we have authority in the industry and having been around for a while that people come and ask me about stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, somebody came to me and asked me about the the Medium article about the creep, you know, like the industry has a creep problem. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, did you read about this? And what do you think about this happening in the industry? And I'm kind of like, oh, honey. Okay. <laughs> Let's, let's, How long do you have? Yes, and I and I can think of you know like a dozen stories pop up in my head from you know the last couple of decades of this kind of thing happening, and so 
but I'm happy to talk about that because I think you know one thing that people ask a lot is how do we how do we solve these problems? How do we you know stop there from being sexual harassment in the industry, or how yeah. do we um, you know deal with these author kerfuffles of various kinds? And and I think one of the ways we deal with it is by having this um, I want to say industrial, and that's the wrong word. Um, institutional knowledge, the people who have been around for a while that we do talk and that we do say, okay, here's a story about how this went before and this is how we've dealt with it. And yeah, and, and here's how it's changed because things really have gotten better in many, many ways. Yeah. I think that is for me personally, the, I, I've, I've, I came into the RWA right here at like in tw- at the end of 2019. Oh, you're yeah, right. And and I joined the RAMP program. But I think that for me and, and for so many new authors who join organizations like the RWA, which is if listeners, you know who the RWA is. But if you don't, it's the Romance Writers of America. It was previously like the biggest romance writer institution, association. It was the biggest writers organization, full stop. 10,000 members. Yeah. Um, and it imploded in like 2018, more or less. The whole board quit. It was a whole thing. Um, they kind of rebuilt themselves. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> well, things have been, shall we say, rocky since. Um, and but but to a certain degree, right, some people like myself and a few others, uh, you know, were, were joining still at the end of 2019. Not so much now um, after repeated failings. Um, But we joined because of that institutional knowledge, because there is still a there there, that need doesn't go away just because we have the Internet full of people who can answer questions like there is a certain community knowledge that once lost is only time can can rebuild it. Um, And that for me has been the saddest part of watching the RWA crumble. Right. Um, Is looking at it and going, okay, so authors like me who are just starting out, um, where do we go now for this institutional knowledge of how to handle these things and how to handle the ups and downs of the industry? Um, and it's, it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have answers to that, but it is, it's it's a necessary thing to have it, right? Yes. Yes. And, and I do think that one reason that RWA has been having such a hard time rebuilding is because they lost so much of that institutional knowledge that a whole lot of the people who had been around for a very long time left because they just felt they couldn't support the organization anymore. And then the organization didn't make an effort to to bring those people back and involve them in the rebuild. Yeah, the meaningful change part uh, didn't happen. And so the people who could have, you know, brought that back and helped build it up into something that was better than its past iteration, couldn't condone coming back to it uh, with good reason. Um, but I, I, it's, it is, I think it's, it's a perfect example of what happens when something like this implodes and we lose something that was bigger and more meaningful than the actual organization. And that was the collective knowledge. Um, and of course it still exists in the people who were, you know, in it, but, you know, being able to access that knowledge is the, is the issue. Yeah, we don't talk to each other in ways that we used to talk no. to each other. 
No. You know, like not having the pandemic or, you know, having the pandemic and not having conferences. Yeah. So that's hampered stuff too. Yeah, like I've I've never been to a conference. Uh, I would love to to go. I mean, I think I'm I I am profoundly lucky in the fact that I host this podcast, so I get the chance to sit down and talk with authors, and I get to make connections, and you know, you know, I get to talk to people like you who have done the damn thing for so long, um, and that's so cool. Um, but you know, authors who can't do these things, right? They may struggle with. Being like, okay, do I just like send an email to some random author? Be like, hey, how do you do X, Y, or Z? Like, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. There, there are fewer opportunities. I mean, a lot of the romance authors who write science fiction and fantasy crossover have ended up coming to Sefwa. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and that's been a great thing, doing my plug for the organization. Um, and, and it's been really nice that people have said that it's been encouraging to them that that I'm president being someone who writes romance crossover and and really the the yeah. first president of the organization who is equally a romance writer it's that is really wonderful that's like that's that's really really cool cuz we don't get like i think the the recognition for like the amount of sci-fi and fantasy that is written by romance authors i i don't think we get a lot of credit like it is a huge amount of books that are put out every year yes it's true and and it's kind of become my go-to line in talking with certain individuals in the organization uh where Mm -hmm. i've been like Mm -hmm. told to my face that um you know like i don't fit in with something in particular because i write romance and and i say you know Romance is not antimatter. Putting romance in a book does not cancel out the fantasy. <laughs> no, it's not mutually exclusive. I don't know. But where there you are got people it. who see it that way still. That you yeah. know, the romance cooties, and if you put it in there, then automatically it's no longer uh, you know, interesting science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, well, you know, it can't it can't be true literature if people kiss in it, don't you know? Yeah, unless it's like um, uh, an emotionally fraught kiss. Uh, unless they die or something, or someone is... Or it's a middle-aged yeah. man wanting to kiss his secretary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh, funny how that works. Uh, well, women can't write good literature, so that's full stop, as we know. Yes, V.S. Nepal said so, right? So. Yeah, it's everything's fine. Everything's great here in this, this uh, in this world. I actually, you know, it was really funny. I had um, I had a guy come in yesterday to the bookstore, and he comes up and he, I'm, I wasn't helping him. I was just like fixing tables, and I hear him ask my uh, coworker, he's like, "Where is your uh, mystery section?" And my coworker's like, "Oh, here we have like a whole genre zone. So we have a huge bay of mystery, and then we have two full bays of uh, sci-fi and fantasy next to YA, and then I have my romance section, which is my own bay." Um, and uh, and he goes like, "Oh, okay, it's it's over there." And, he, and then he like walks a couple of steps, and then comes back, and he's like, "Um, also, where's your sci-fi and fantasy section?" And my coworker goes, "Oh, it's it's, it's right next to it. It's on the same wall." And I'm like, interested, because, you know, my little, my antenna goes up, and I'm like, huh, what's happening here? You're just waiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hmm, what's, uh, this is a, let's say, middle-aged-ish white man uh, who's 
kind of talking very fast over my coworker. I'm like, mm, I have, mm, okay. So I, he kind of walks over, he like quick steps over and he just kind of leans into the section, doesn't go in, just leans, looks at mystery, looks at sci-fi fantasy. And I think mutters to himself because he wasn't with anybody, could have had a headphone in, didn't see one, but whatever. And he just goes, he goes, mm, just like I thought, twice as much science fiction and fantasy. <laughs> Such a trend. And then he walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right? I was like, where have you been for the past 50 years? (laughs) I don't, it's not like a fad. I don't. (laughs) Maybe he's running out of mystery to read and blames science fiction and fantasy. For taking up the, the space. I don't. I don't know. know. I'm just glad he didn't turn his head like 12 degrees to the right because then he would have seen the the romance section and I can't imagine what his response to that would have been. he would have had to say something. Yeah, it was better than... Yeah, but it was baffling. I was like, I don't think you... What? Did you think science fiction and fantasy like just started? Because I have bad news for you. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do think, I think it is the coolest thing that the romance people are being represented with sci-fi and fantasy. I think I it is only going to grow, especially with the influence of book talk and stuff. Like they, man alive, they they love a, like a Sarah J. Mass and a and a oh boy, they're taking up a a good chunk of of my uh, my sci-fi fantasy section. Uh, Naomi Novik as well. Like there's some. There's some heavy hitters that are, I think people are going to continue to discover and then they're going to write their own. And then I'm going to be able to like have that really fun debate with myself. Like, do I put this in romance? Do I put this in sci-fi fantasy? I don't know. Where will it sell best? You know, and I've found my books on, on both shelves. I, I yeah. entertain myself by looking at bookstore in bookstores to see uh, where did they decide to shelve it. And that's like sometimes one, sometimes the other. Uh, you know? And- yeah. And, and in terms of history, since we're talking about history and bringing up writers like Anne McCaffrey, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I know a lot of people have trouble with, uh, you know, like some of the stuff in Anne McCaffrey's books now, uh, yeah. you know, because she was writing that stuff in the 60s, you know, started writing that in the 60s. And it was, you know, I, I know it's not an excuse, but, you know, a different time and yeah. different, uh, different values, different assumptions, different kinds of programming. And, yeah. But, you know, Anne McCaffrey and other authors like her, um, you know, like uh, a little bit later, Mercedes Lackey, but, you know, Vonda McIntyre, Tanith Lee, uh, they they were writing in a time when the genre was very, very much dominated by men and especially mm-hmm. like white male engineer types. Yeah. And so so I think what's happening is that a lot of the writers my age, we grew up reading Anne McCaffrey. So, you know, like she broke the trail and then we, you know, for me, it was like, I want fantasy with centralized female characters doing heroic things and also kissing. And, (laughs) you know, it's, and, and so many of us, that's, that's what we grew up reading. And now, so we're writing those things. And like you said, now it, it just keeps growing because now younger writers are reading what we're writing and they're like, oh yes, and I want it to be this and. It's sort of like improv, mm-hmm. right? The yes and, yes and. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's really cool to see that groundswell and that building change. It's been, you know, and it's been so interesting, too, because I think uh, with with the Internet, right, like which is such a, you know, a segue into things, right? It's always just like, you know, with with the web, the web as it is today. Um, but but seriously, like the way that things change now is like so fast. And it has been such an interesting thing to me to see since I've been a bookseller, the rapid change in what people are going for, like what is being pushed by publishers, what is hitting the shelves. Like, it's not just like cover changes. It's not just like, oh, everyone's mad because now we have a bunch of illustrated covers that are kind of boring or whatever, whatever. I don't, I, I, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is the content and how with the delay of traditional publishing, which is what, two years, if everything goes perfectly. Yeah. In general. I mean, it varies, but yeah, just thereabouts, like from yeah, writing the book and then editing and then getting it out in the world. Um, it is so interesting to me to still see, like, we are changing things at a breakneck speed, relatively speaking, as fast as publishing can can change. Um, and I, I am so fascinated by how the, since I started as a bookseller four years ago, the change that has come over sci-fi fantasy and YA from being that solid block of straight white men to this like trend of like yes we're okay there's a little bit of romance okay maybe there's a female main character but don't worry there's no romance it's not like it's not that kind of book and now it's like also like they're they're not white and also they're queer and also like they're lesbians in space and they're necromancers i'm talking about Gideon the ninth because that's what i'm reading right now like it's just yes it's great i love it and it, it feels like it's happening so fast it is it is happening fast and and you're talking to someone who you know lived a good chunk of my life before there was an internet at all. And yeah. so, you know, it's just amazing. And I know that the younger people get sick of like the Gen X people talking about, I remember when there was no internet, but it's, it's extraordinary to look at the difference in our lives between, um, you know, like before we had home computers and before we had internet and before we had social media, uh, it has just changed so much about how we do things. And a lot of it is, like you say, fantastic. Uh, you know, we have, the world is so much smaller now. We understand things from sources other than official news channels. We find out things so much faster. The diversity is so much better. Uh, you know, I think people have broadened their horizons, except for the people who don't want to. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, who've kind of like moved as far as possible in the opposite direction. Dug their hole. Yes, dug their hole. Exactly. And it's, um, you know, but at the same time, it also magnifies things. You know, like the author kerfuffles, you know, unlike yeah. where everybody and their brother has to weigh in on, you know, whatever the controversy du jour is. Yeah. And, and it does in some ways make things, I don't know, more hectic and more, it, it, it makes it harder for people to step away and, and have that space that, that we had before internet. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was thinking about how um, the the self-marketing machine that authors have to be now, um, which I think people like if you're if you're not in it, like you get it like intellectually, I think it makes sense. You're like, well, yeah, they got to put out like their stuff. They got to promote it and stuff. That makes sense. But like 
when you actually get into the nitty gritty of it, even authors who are traditionally published now are having to become their own publicists and their own marketing professionals um, because there just aren't the resources to to do it. They don't want it. Publishers don't want to do it anymore. They they go like, well, you have a Twitter. You do it. Right. Like we don't need to we don't need to do that unless you're like a really big name, in which case they'll, you know, lay down and die for you. Um, but most of us um you know, self-published, indie, hybrid, um, we have to do it all ourselves. And that is great in the sense that we get to have full control over what we put out into the world. On the other hand, it also means that unplugging is really difficult. It means that the lack of instant gratification can be a poison. Um, You put something out into the world and it sucks when you don't get immediate feedback of people loving it or like commenting on it. And it's like, oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, God, what have I done? Everyone hates it. I'm going to be a failure. Um, and then, you know, it, what it turns out to be is probably just the algorithm sunk your stuff to the bottom of the pile and you have no control over that. Um, but you got to get up and you got to do it the next day because if you stop, well, that doesn't help you. Um, at the same time that you are expected to keep up with all the latest social media platforms and trends. You're expected to ride the waves. You're expected to make videos. You're expected to make all your graphics. You're expected to do all of this stuff. And that's before we even talk about the fact that you have to write the damn book. Right. It's amazing. It's It's, it's amazing. And it, you know, has its benefits. But I think that, like, for me personally, that tap that we are expected to have on at all times of, um, being socially acceptable but also the reverse of that is that you get used to a certain amount of like dopamine when people like like your stuff and talk about your stuff and interact with you online and then the moment they don't do that it feels like your world is crumbling right right and and i think that it um it can be really damaging especially to newer Mm -hmm. writers because and I, and I see writers talk about this sort of thing where they like doing stuff on like Wattpad or on yeah. other stuff because they, you know, they want that constant feedback. They like posting yeah. a chapter and getting constant feedback on it. And it, you know, I think back to when I first started writing that, you know, my f- first couple of books I wrote pretty much in a vacuum, you know, yeah. that it was like just me and my head and my characters And there wasn't any way to share with people. And I didn't know anybody else in my small town in Wyoming who was writing the same kind of thing I was writing. And Mm -hmm. I think that was good for me in many ways. Because, you know, getting those voices out of your head when you're trying to create is hugely important. You know, we have so many voices saying, oh, you can't write this or, oh, you should write that or you have to do this, that or the other. And now there is such a cacophony of voices that I do think it's it's hard to just get into that purely creative zone. Yeah. So in the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm over here. I grew up writing fan fiction. So I, I started writing fan fiction when I was nine. Uh, Let's... You're not going to talk about what or the quality, but I was. You're not going to tell us which fanfic it was? Absolutely not. I will not fess up to that. So wrong. But I I will say that it was very on brand. (laughs) um, It was Harry Potter, wasn't it? It 
Might have been Harry Potter, but I don't think you will ever guess what the pairing was. God help you. God help all of us. It was wild. But I started posting when I was nine, and it was the first thing I ever wrote creatively. I, I, I've I talked about it on the podcast before, but I, I also was a very late reader. Um, so that was around the time, too, that I really started reading was because I found fan fiction, because I didn't realize that people wrote romance. So I found fan fiction first before I found anything like traditionally published or even the YA section. So I found romantic fan fiction and I was like, oh my God, there are things for me. (laughs) And well, so I learned how to both be a reader and a writer through that lens. So I have never in my life been without, um, the idea of the immediate gratification of posting something. I used to post like a chapter, literally the moment I put that last period in there, I would post it and then refresh until I got a review, um, which is like the most unhealthy way of doing that sort of thing, of course. So it was a huge sea change for me when I decided I wanted to be a novelist. And it was like, okay, I'm going to write this whole book. That's hard, but like, whatever, I can do that. 700 pages later, it's trash, but it's done. Um, Okay. Gratification time. I've been good. I haven't put it online anywhere. I haven't saw gratification elsewhere. It's time now. I finished book now. It's please now. Me. Please me. Um, And then everyone hated it. And I got just a resounding absolute no from every single query everything i could possibly get like pitches it's so just hard. it's it's so hard but i think it's like especially difficult to grasp for my generation of like oh i did all of this work and what do i and no there's no there's no there's no dopamine there's no serotonin here I, where for me? is my cube of cheese i have pressed the lever <laughs> I did it. I did the thing. Don't tell me that there are books that I will have to put in a drawer. Don't tell me this. I did it. I I deserve reward. I did it. Um, It's just, it was, it's a really, really difficult thing to, I think, wrap your brain around as someone who has grown up with that, right? But then I think, like, there is a sort of middle ground there with, okay, you can, if you are publishing your own books, sort of get the get the cheese but the problem is once you start getting the cheese you just want more cheese so once you get one like you want another one because if you only get one like the next time well that's a disappointment why didn't anyone else like your stuff so the vicious loop of cheese <laughs> i, I think that should be a, a hashtag <laughs> yeah. don't don't take the cheese the cheese is a trap <laughs> the cheese, the cheese is a lie <laughs> so jeffy i am so interested okay what brought you to writing romance? Okay, so um, I started reading romance when I was uh, very young, uh, mm-hmm. probably 11 or 12, when I was old enough to walk two blocks to the used bookstore, and I could get one of those trashy novels that my mother told me I shouldn't read. Uh, not because uh, my mother was always very sex positive, but she um, was also had very strong ideas about romance being trash. She came from that generation. I have since yeah. uh, convinced her. I've brought her over to the dark side. I should hope so with your backlist. Yes. We, 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 she does read my books. Um, so Love it. 
But yeah, she had very strong ideas about uh, reading to improve your mind kind mm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I you know, had been reading, I think, I think actually Anne McCaffrey was my gateway drug to fantasy. I read yeah. Dragon Song from my grade school library when I was like eight or nine mm-hmm. and kept going from there. And so those were my two loves. Um, but I was going to be a research scientist. So I... That makes sense with what I know about you and spreadsheets. Oh, my spreadsheets. I know. I'm on the Leo Virgo cusp. So I've been Mm -hmm. described as a, as a meticulous volcano. And that's probably pretty accurate. (laughs) So, so yes, I was in graduate school, uh, getting Mm -hmm. my PhD in neurophysiology, doing research on uh, how bat brains processed acoustics. Oh, that's so cool. Jeffy, that's It was like arcane, very niche, very niche. And I had this big meltdown. I had this big crisis. I was at the neuroscience convention in New Orleans, and it was like 60,000 people because they could never figure out how to divide out neuroscience. So like all the people doing the AI stuff and the people doing brain surgery and all of these things, everybody's there together. And all anybody ever talked about was their work and nobody seemed happy. And I was 23 and I was, and I was completely miserable. And my advisor was this um, manic depressive Hungarian, which I'm told is redundant. (laughs) And, And he was giving me grief about something and I burst into tears and dramatically ran out of the convention center and, you know, had my meltdown. And I thought, okay, something is very, very wrong. Because I was, you know, one of these, you know, smart girls in the 80s. They really, if you could do science, you know, STEM stuff was really kicking in then. If you were good at that, they really pushed you to that. And I thought, okay, I don't want to be a research scientist. This doesn't sound like the kind of life I want to have. So I sat myself down and asked the question. I said, okay, if you take away all of the ifs, ands, buts, shut out all the voices and what would be the perfect life? What would be the career? And I was totally shocked that the answer was to be a writer because it had never occurred to me before that to be a writer. And I thought, okay, well, if that's the answer, if that's the perfect career for me, then I have to find a way to make it happen. So I cut bait on my PhD and got a master's degree, left the program and got a job as like an editor writer for a petroleum group in my small Wyoming town, where the university was at least. And I um, started taking classes with visiting writers. And yeah. I started out writing, my, the first writing class I took was called Essays on Self and Place. So I started out as an essayist and started sending work out to magazines, paper magazines by mail back in the day. And kind of went there from, you know, I did not think it was going to take this long for me to get, I I went to being a full-time writer, supporting myself with my writing in 2015. So, I mean, it took a long time. Yeah. Um, Because one thing about this bizarre industry of ours is, you know, there is no career ladder. 
It's not like you can get an entry-level job and start out poor and gradually work your way up so that you're making a living wage. Instead, it goes up and down and up and down. Uh, One of my early uh, accomplishments was I got an essay into Redbook. And that was back in the golden age of when they paid a dollar a word. And I got paid, yes, I got paid $3,000 for one essay. Oh my God. I know I have books that have not made that much. That's it. Yeah. I'd like, I'd be like 20 bucks for an essay. Like, oh my, oh my God. Oh yeah. It was, it was so good. This is, but this was pre-internet. Yeah. 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 Like the internet killed this and blogging and all of that. Words mean nothing anymore. That's, that's what I've heard. Well, I mean, in some ways it's true. They've become incredibly cheap. But um, when that happened, like everybody around me was like, oh, you've made it. This is amazing. You know, you've, and and they said those exact words to me, you've made it now. And it's like, one thing I've learned is that there's no such thing as you've made it because, you know, you get $3,000 for this one essay and then nothing for a year and you can't live on that. No. No, and I think the uh, if if I've learned anything from the the amazing resource that is just being able to like follow authors on Twitter or in the Discord and just hear like you know the general life advice of like what's the what's the greatest thing you've learned over the course of your career and uh, for me personally it has been the disillusionment of the like the idea of um that you hit a point where things are just easy and then everything takes care of itself and like that's your career and you can just do what you want no the real answer to that is you have ups and downs you don't always hit the trend sometimes you hit the trend but what you need to do is if ever you have a moment you ride the wave for as long as you possibly can so that when it dies down and you once again hit a slump you can survive and do what you want and build it back up again. Um, so basically, constant work forever until you don't want to do it anymore. It's true. It's true. And and it's one of those things that you don't really want to tell new writers because, you know, we all think, well, once I get an agent, once I sign with an agent, once I get a book deal, you know, then it's all going to be great, you know, be sunshine and roses. And you know, even when I was a newbie writer, I heard other authors talk about reinventing themselves and the importance of being able to pivot and reinvent and all that kind of thing. And I was like, I wonder why they're talking about that. I, and you know, now I'm just like, oh. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, this idea that, yeah, you you get an agent like that's the that's the like brass ring. You get an agent and then then it's easy from there. And it's like, well, OK, let's say everything goes right. You get an agent after, you know, you get several agents say yes to you. And then you get to pit them against each other and have them try to sell themselves to you finally. That's wonderful. Perfect, per- perfect scenario, right? Well, okay. So now the agent needs to try and sell your book to publishers. Okay. Um, that goes great. Let's say, best case scenario, bidding war. You make many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars great awesome and highly unlikely and super wicked major unlikely but maybe could lightning lightning can strike yeah yeah things can happen all right cool um and then your book flops and then no one ever wants to publish you under that name ever again good luck (laughs) yep that's true even when everything 
goes perfect, you can still just absolutely beef it and probably will beef it at some point in your career. So, you know? And you know why? It's because the mystery bookshelves were twice as big as your bookshelf. It's true. You know what? It's all the bookseller's fault. Always comes back to that. Yeah, we're bad people inherently. (laughs) We love booksellers. Booksellers are the awesomest. We do our best, man. I know you do. I I definitely, I, I just, it's so interesting to talk to you because like I said, you've been doing this forever. You are an award-winning author. Like I'm, I'm looking at your award over your shoulder. My my shiny Uh, golden idol. Yes. (laughs) Your, your, your beautiful idol, which I'm surprised don't have candles around it or some sort of votive offering. I'm going to be on video. I take those away. It's a little outre. Oh, it's true. Yeah. You also like, you know, fire hazard, right? Like I get it. (laughs) Um, but I, I just, it is, this is such a lonely endeavor being, being a writer, even in the time of constant communication that we are living in. It is, it is an inherently lonely endeavor. So it is really wonderful to talk to somebody like you, who you go out of your way to be really kind and open and to share your knowledge with people like me who are just randos off the street, essentially. Um, and I think that that you're is curated like... curated rando, really. I mean, you're just... I'm, I was vetted by Christine, which, take or leave, Christine doesn't necessarily have the best taste. <laughs> I'll tell her that to her face. Um, but uh, I, I just... I don't know. I, just, I wanted to make sure that I told you how much I appreciate that you do that. Because it is... It is labor, right? You are doing a lot of emotional and, you know, intellectual labor helping out us newbies and making us feel a little bit less alone and like we're floundering in a massive ocean. Um, And it's just, it's tremendously kind. Well, thank you. Um, You know, people helped me, you know, like with my first book, my first fantasy romance that I couldn't sell because fantasy romance didn't really exist yet. Uh, You know, like, Catherine Asaro read it for me and gave me advice and that was huge that an advice that I follow still and you know and also it's gratifying I enjoy getting to talk with people and you know the the only thing that gets frustrating to me is when people don't want to listen you know like and and I try to step away from that if I can because you know People don't have to listen, but it is frustrating when somebody asks a question and you say, okay, well, this is what I think. And they're like, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, and it's like, okay, well. Yeah, I, that is, that is hard. Sometimes you, it's trying to suss out the core of why someone is asking is more important than the question itself. I think you're exactly Uh, right. Because a lot of times people just want to be told that they're awesome. And they, they want to feel like they're the main character for five minutes. And it's like, oh, well, okay, that's, that's fine. You can, you can do that. That's, that's why you have your Facebook group or whatever, where you get to, right. to do that. Go but on with not, your bad not. self. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just do that. That's fine. If that's what you want, you know, feel free. The internet's a big place. Uh, you're not, you're not making it any better, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Not your responsibility, I guess. Jeffy, I am wondering. Now, now here, towards the tail end of this episode, now you get to talk about your books, Jeffy. Oh, now, okay. only now. <laughs> only now. Um, I, so I, like I said, I looked agog at your backlist today and I was like, 
how are you, like, Jeffy, you have, like, how many series do you have? I was trying to count, and I kept getting lost in the sauce. So I actually have a spreadsheet for this. Of course you have a spreadsheet, yes. <laughs> um, I have 12 different series. Oh, Jeff, that's so many words, Jeffy. And, and only just, like, eight that I've done as standalones over the years. Yeah. Yeah, you love a series. I do love a series. I I write long, which is interesting because I'm kind of a concise writer, but I also, like, my stories are long. Yes, you definitely, like, I, I, I was reading some and I was like, oh, this is, she, this is the core of what I want to talk to you about, actually, because I was thinking about it and I was like, Jeffy loves a massive expansive world you love a a story that has a really complex thread that needs to be explored in 400 page books over the course of you know four books right um and i and i wonder how with your enormous backlist in the genre genre you write in how you keep it fresh and how you continue to make space in your brain for new and interesting worlds so that's a big question. It is. <laughs> um, okay, so I think a lot of it comes back to having clear headspace. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, eliminating as much noise as possible. That I probably keep referencing that in different ways. Uh, so I come out I, I studied martial arts Chinese um you know like Tai Chi and Bagua Shaolin for over 15 years and cool 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 you know super smart and also like knows you know how to do martial arts and uh also is award-winning uh science fiction fantasy author <laughs> it's fine it's fine Jeffy it's fine you know what you can just keep talking Jeffy I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here am I bask. digging myself in deeper here I'm just <laughs> Be the most interesting person in the world, but but may I continue? I, I also like whiskey, so that that mm-hmm. helps. Oh well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> That's what I needed. Thank you. So so yeah, I think um, being able to have that really clear mind. I I write yeah. in silence. I'm very big on shutting off distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like turning off all notifications and all of that kind of thing, um, and. You know, I'm I'm a, a pantser. I don't much like that term. I, I like gardener better. George R. R. Martin uses gardener. Uh, but yeah, for me, the story, I learn what the story is as I write it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't really keep, I don't have an outline. I can't pre-plot. I, I, I would like to. It would be fun, I think, or like efficient, but I just can't. So mm-hmm. for me, I have to hold the whole story in my head as I'm writing. And so for me, that requires a lot of this kind of silence and stillness and that sort of thing. And I mean, I consider myself to be a practicing Taoist, which might also be digging myself into this hole. But, you know, so it's very much about this idea of, um, yeah, kind of following that that path of uh, cl- mental clarity, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think, that, you know, it's that idea of making space, right? Yes. Like you... You are, to be a writer, you are at the bare minimum of, I write like, let's say I write contemporary fiction, set in our world, very gritty, very real, whatever, right? At the bare minimum, you are making up whole lives and 
that itself is like you are a whole life. You and your brain have all of your memories, have all of your experiences, have your personal narrative that you keep track of in your head. Now sit there and come up with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of fully fleshed other people with their own full interior lives in your brain. And then for extra difficulty to put a little bit of hot sauce on that taco... Let's make a whole other world with different rules, different political systems, different, I don't know, gravity, uh, just for fun, just to make it a little bit harder. I mean, like, why not? Yeah. yeah. So if you don't have space for that, it is, you know, it, it, I think everyone has the capacity to write really expansive, um, fantastical stories. I just don't think necessarily everyone has the space in their minds to do it or they're not practiced in making space for it. I think the Um, practice is a big part of it. I think you really build that muscle. So when people ask me about like how long it takes me to write a book or how I keep track of stuff, I always feel like I have to add that caveat because it's like, I've been, you know, I've written a lot of books now and I've, I've, you know, got those, I'm, I'm in, you know, like the peak of my training at this point. And, you know, like every time you stretch yourself to do something new in a book, it it adds to your chops and it adds to your ability to do it. And it's like, so, you know, it's it's kind of a cliche when we say, well, don't don't try this yet. You know, and, and when I when I help or, you know, give critique to brand new writers, I'm always trying to tell them, you know, like, Try to keep it simple. Don't try to do too much in that first book because it's enough to just write the book. Oh my God. Let me, Jeffy, if you'd been there, I wrote 700 pages, Jeffy. (laughs) (laughs) And I had like three plot lines, like three different story arcs within that. And also I had a hundred page chunk that when I took it out of the middle, I didn't have to change a word except for the chapter headers. That's it. Where were you? I needed you, Jimmy. I'm to sorry. To hit me I with like a white glove or something. Just like, hey, stop it. Stop it. That's like, stop it. No, you don't need to do that. Pick one. Oh, God. I just, I, I think it's, I I have a theory that I, I think that pe- one thing I've heard from a lot of writers is that um, just colloquially, it's like writers are consistently the people who got in trouble in school for being daydreamers. Oh, sure. And I think that actually has a lot to do with the ability to make space in your brain for stories. Um, Because what is daydreaming if not stepping outside of your brain and your immediate moment, quieting down and going, I'm going to go here for a minute. I'm going to just see what's happening in here on this this other planet. Or, you know, if I met a rock star or if I was in, you know, a movie or whatever it is, you are crafting a story, whether you're the star of that story or not, you are using the muscles that we all have. Um, And I think that writers have a tendency to be those people who like we're like really big daydreamers who really got in trouble. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I still daydream all the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that's one of the things that we talk about, you know, like even when you're not writing the book, you're still writing the book in your head, which is not an excuse not to write. There, there are people who take that way too far and be like, oh, but I'm composing it in my head. It's like, no, you actually have to put the words down at some point or it, it will never leave your head. But but yeah, for me, um, writing a story very often feels like streaming it from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, 
and I, I just, I've never been able to find this quote again, so I don't know if I'm attributing it correctly, but I think it was Philip Jose Older who said it, that uh, for him, when we create, it's like lighting a campfire, that then the light penetrates into other worlds and people in the other worlds come and sit at the campfire and tell us their stories. I like that. Yeah, and that's very much how it feels to me. That I think that's why I talk about like needing the silence and then opening up that channel and just letting it flow in. Yeah, I that's a that's a really good way of putting it. I I'm trying to think of how it feels when I write. I I guess for me it's I definitely feel like much more of an observer where I like just happen to, you know, drop down into this world and I just get to follow these people around um, and also hear all of their thoughts, <laughs> I guess. Um, I am, I am a God. So that is, that does help. Or Yeah, obviously. Am I a kind one? Probably not, but I am a fun one. All that matters is you're divine. Oh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, someone said it. I've been waiting. I don't get enough praise on this podcast. Ugh. That's just one. Um, I know, right? Hey, speaking of podcasts, you got a podcast, don't you, Jeff? I do have a podcast. Uh, mine is like a uh, a, a very uh, low-key casual podcast, but I do it um, four days a week. Yeah. What is that about, Jeff? Are you not busy enough? <laughs> Yeah, when I told one of my friends I was thinking about starting it, all she I told her on chat, and she just wrote back head tilt. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I I saw that. So I I did a deep dive, right? I was like, okay, looking at Jeffy's backlist, super super cool. I guess she's just like the most interesting person ever, and has done all of the things. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna listen to her podcast. So I've been listening to it. We're on the same network. Hi, sprawling. Um, we're we're pod siblings. We're pod siblings. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I went, I, I was listening to it this morning and I was like, yeah, it's, uh, and I was like, hey, there are, hey, there are a lot of episodes. And then I looked at the dates and I was like, she doing this multiple times a week <laughs> on top of everything. But mine's only 20 minutes. It's true. So it's the first cup of coffee and right. you literally drink coffee while you were, while you were doing it. And honestly, I, I loved it. I was like feeling so like meditative and calm when I was listening to oh, it. It wonderful. reminded me of, I don't know if you've heard of the podcast, The Empty Bowl, uh, but it's a, it's a uh, McElroy podcast and it is, um, it's a meditative pit meditative podcast all about cereal um and it's just like meant to be like an anxiety reducer where they just talk about stuff that's just like nice and easy and kind of silly but like it's short and it's just it's just very calming and in the same way when i was listening to to your podcast i was just like oh this is this is nice this is nice and calm all right i can do this it's surprising to me a lot of people say that one gal came up to me at a conference and said you know i listen to your podcast and she said you know my teenage daughter got in the car and said oh mom what are you listening to and they went oh wait is this the lady with the relaxing voice that's good and i was like oh i'm the lady with the relaxing voice i, yeah. I, I kind of love that it's just like sitting down like it, it felt to me like staying over at somebody's house a very low-key visit and then you wake up the next morning and they've already made coffee and they're just like hey come sit we'll just sit and we'll just like chill out yeah, yeah it's nice how you doing everything good with you how's your mom <laughs> yeah that's, that's perfect that's exactly what i'm going for and you just did 
your 700th episode? 700 was today, yeah. Madness. It is madness. That is crazy. I loved listening to it because you were just like, I didn't even know. I just fully lost track of <laughs> Well, because, I mean, you know, like we start these things and we don't know what we're doing when we start. Yeah. That's just Yo, like. Oh, believe me, I know that. Life, right? Yeah, yeah, for everything. And so when I first started doing it, I divided it out by seasons because that was like what Buzzsprout offered. You know, so I was mm-hmm. like, oh, season one. And then at the end of the year, I started season two. And so I knew what number I was within the year, but I hadn't kept a cumulative number. Yeah, I I number mine. And I only just realized uh, that apparently it's against like Apple's like policy to have a number in the title. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's like against their like best practices uh, policy. Because uh, I guess they, I, I don't know, because they ask you to number it in the metadata, right? Um, I don't know. I've never had an issue. They've never said, listen, Apple's never said anything to me. Um, so if, unless Tim Cook comes and knocks on my door personally, I'm not changing. But you shouldn't, yes. Uh, but I was like, I was like, well, if I stop, if I stop numbering my podcast, I'm so screwed. Because we're in this. 70s now and I'm like I don't think I've already fully lost track of what's going on here I cannot imagine like five years from now where I'm gonna be so I I this is this is an essential part of this for me yeah I I don't when I hit 50 it felt like a really big deal um well I think for me I wanted part of the reason that I can do it is because I wanted it to be not a big deal where that's true you know, so I do it, you know, I don't do fancy production. I don't go back and edit. It's um, when I first started doing it, I just did it on my phone and, you know, just recorded it that way and threw it up there. And um, yeah, it's it sort of took the place of blogging for me. Yeah. And, and in some ways it's faster. And, and that way I'm not draining down that word well. Yeah. by writing blog posts and yeah speaking of you you do stuff for like pharaoh right you do you still do the occasional uh you, you also like uh, hold on okay i just want to mention this you also write poetry so you do essays poetry blog posts podcast like many 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 books uh, uh Jeffy, i don't think so i think actually we have to shut a couple of those down because if you keep doing that like the rest of us are over here like I guess we're all just, I don't know, twiddling our thumbs or whatever, because Jeffy's just outshining us at every step <laughs> of the way. There's lots of pie. Lots of pie for everyone. I haven't written poetry in a long time. but Once a poet, always a poet. Yeah, maybe so. The, the poetry thing was a little bit of an outlier. It was because I had an essay that I couldn't get to work. And, I, and someone suggested to me that I try putting it in like a free form poetic form. And I did, then it won a fellowship. So I was like, oh, I guess that was good. Oh, oh you know, just, just casual Trauma. things, whatever. Yes. <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of threw it together. Like I didn't expect anything to come of it. It's well, funny I how did work happen. on it very hard, but. Well then, okay. Well then that's okay. As long as you worked on it hard. That's right. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so I think this is a good place to do pluggables and what all to to end this podcast but before we do that i wanted to ask you um i know that a lot of people who listen to my podcast are creatives in one way or another but a lot of them are themselves budding writers um and you know some of them are looking to do the self-published path some of them are looking to do the traditional path some of them are doing hybrid whatever but a lot of them are new 
Um, and I was wondering if you had anything you would say as a parting gift here to to us. Um, what's the like? What's the one thing, the most important piece of this you would you would uh, deliver unto us newbies? Um, persistence. I would say that that's the the main thing that I have seen over the years. Um, I have known so many really, really wonderful writers who simply stopped after a while. Um, mm-hmm. Never got a book published, stopped after a couple of books were published. Uh, you know, it's, and there's, there's no shame in it. If you decide it's not for you, then that's, you know, don't, don't keep doing it because it, it's, it's easier to make money, you know, like as a bank teller or a grocery store checker or what have you than as a writer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I or mean, a it, podcaster. It, or a podcaster. I mean, it just is. Uh, so you have to love it. You have to do it because you love it. And if you want it, then be persistent because that is the common denominator that I've seen for all authors who have been successful you know, reinventing themselves, finding new ways of doing things, changing to a different genre. Uh, it's that keeping at it, keep writing, keep putting it out there. Uh, you know, talent and all of that is nice, but it's not the most wildly talented people I know who have become successful. Yeah, I think that's um that's a very sound piece of advice. I think you know hand in hand with that, I think you you also uh are a big proponent right of knowing your limits and knowing when you know things are being are detrimental. What is it that you you guys say a lot in the the server? Uh, mind your spoons. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. My big thing is um find out what your process is and own it. You know, mm-hmm. discover your own process. Don't try to do things like everybody else because you know this is a one thing about being a creative is it is coming up out of you and you it's not going to be like anyone else does things no no it's not and that's what's great about it yes that's like it's that's the magic that is yeah. magic because you are the font you are the origin of the thing and that's what makes yeah. it worth doing yeah I, I i and i think for me personally that is why one of the reasons i enjoy speaking to people who um write in the same genre as me because I find it endlessly fascinating how we've all taken like generally speaking the same conventions and we all make them so different yes <laughs> like everyone has their unique spice that they put onto something and I'm never gonna write like you write you're never gonna write like how I write we're never going to come at things the same way um and that's just I don't know anyone who ever complains about like repetitive stuff in the romance genre where you been, buddy? Because it's, first of all, it's what readers want. They want the safety. But also, secondly, nothing is ever the same, actually. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those same people never complain that in every mystery you find out at the end who did it. Or complain that in a thriller that the serial killer gets apprehended in the end. You know, it's. I wonder if that has something to do with some of the other stuff. You mean like uh, the misogyny things? Oh, that, 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 yeah, that, that, yeah. 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 I was talking about, you know, obviously I was talking about like the size of the book or, oh, right, you know, right. yeah, you know, mass market versus a trade paperback, right? <laughs> like <laughs> big debate there. Uh, speaking of, what's, what's your preference? I have, I have very strong opinions on that. Uh, well, I, I hate to confess this to the bookseller, but I 
read almost all digital these days. Fair enough. I do too. Honestly, I have to. I, the sheer amount I read, I can't have that. Yeah, holding a paper book hurts my hands now. You know, it's just, yeah. and I can't scale the font. There you go. Yeah, that is that is something that I really wish publishers would um, do better about is is um, the the large large print books. They're first of all they're prohibitively expensive. Yes, they're they're as expensive as a hardcover, and second of all, only like one in every five hundred book gets a large print run, um, and that sucks. I hate telling. <laughs> I hate telling people who come into the store that I can't get them the book that they want because they won't be able to read it. Um, but that's that's another thing. Personally, if I have to pick, I am a I am a mass market paperback gal. I like a chunky boy. I like a I like a little brick that I can shove in my pocket. Um, I love to just make them nasty, get them all crinkly and scuffed up and dog-eared. I like them to look. I I just love them. They're just, they're squishy and they're great. Um, <laughs> but I've conceded. To the masses, I get that people want trade paperbacks now, and that's fine. It's fine. With my self-published books, I make trade paperback mostly so that they match the other <sighs> that's, books. That's it. That's Once what, you, know. you gotta you gotta pick one, and people want them to all kind of fit on their shelf, and I get that, you know. But here's what I will say, Miss Cressley Cole, you screwed me because my whole collection is mass markets, but now Monroe. They're, they're only coming out in trade. What am I going to do? It's just going to stick out the top. It, 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 the, the drama is real. I mean, it. it's it, the, honestly, the problems that I go through are more important <laughs> than any other decision that could possibly be made here. Uh, I, it needs to look good on my bookshelf. <laughs> well, so like, here's my thing. Having been around for a dinosaur's age, when I started reading J.D. Dot. J.D. Robb's In Death books. I love that mm-hmm. series. So the first books are all mass market paperback. Yeah. And then they went to hardback. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I went to digital. And so I've got like this, my like favorite series that's like all over the place. I finally just put all the books in boxes. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I- that's, yeah, that's fair. It is, it has been interesting to see the influence again, to circle back around on this of, of, the internet uh particularly on like the actual format of books um books have gotten much prettier but mass markets don't sell anymore right i don't get it who doesn't love a small little boy but fine that's fine i understand i can i if i listen i have the skills and the madness in deep deep inside me that if i really want to i can just reformat the manuscript and design a cover for it myself and then get it printed for me personally. Not saying that I'm contemplating that for Cressley Cole's Monroe, but I'm also not not saying You have that. thought this through, however. I am a woman with little to no self-respect <laughs> and a lot of determination. <laughs> so, yes. Okay, speaking of little to no self-respect, it's pluggable time. It's Jeffy, what time? It's pluggables. What are you plugging? What are you advertising? Oh, what are we um, talking about here? So the series, I just had a release a couple weeks ago. Yes, you did. Gray Magic. Yes, Gray Magic, uh, book three in Bonds of Magic. So that's Dark Wizard, Bright Familiar, and Gray Magic. And so that trilogy is complete. I am going on with the series for people who have, I've been getting like an email a day or a message a day about it. 
Am I really stopping there? Because I did leave it open-ended. Not a cliffhanger. Just there are threads that are not tied off. Yes, I will be writing more. Um, and I've got the audiobook for this first time I've self-published audiobooks. So the audiobook for Dark Wizard is out. And I just got the files for Bright Familiar. So I'm going to get that uploaded any minute now. And she's working on Grey Magic. So we'll have all three in audio. Wow, that's cool. I had that thought the other day where I was like, oh, I got I got a book coming out in August. That's cool. I got to like make sure my files all updated and all this stuff. Nice, 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 nice. And then I saw on my friend's page people complaining about not getting their audiobook version of her like latest book. And I was like, oh, there's another thing. There's another thing. There's always another thing. Oh, I'm like, ah, y'all, I think I'm just going to have to take the L on that one and maybe not think about that for a while because I don't even know where to start with that. So that's fine. That's fine. Well, if you decide to do it, you know where to find me and I'll tell you what I've learned. Yeah, please. God, (laughs) I'm begging on my hands and knees. How do I do this? What do I do? You know what? It's fine. It's all fine. It's I all I can learn. I can learn new things. Can. I can learn new skills. Um, but it's whether I want to is the question. Yeah, you just have to pick your periods of ramp up for stuff. Like I've got to figure out a plus marketing, and it's been like on my to do list forever. And I see other people, self publishers, who've got gorgeous a plus marketing on their Amazon pages, and I'm like, oh, I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know. I I feel like I it is all, I'm I'm building the the plane underneath me, right? As I'm flying, and so I don't like I'm sure I'll figure it out someday, but is that today's problem? Are we still in the air? Good. <laughs> then it's I'm not dealing with it right yes, now. Exactly. Exactly. Just wait until a day when you feel like, "Okay, I can learn a thing now." Yes. Yes, it's not today. Today I have to finish writing a dragon novella and oh. then We'll, we'll get past it. Yes, always the writing always has to come first. Yes, because or else or else what's the point? Because then there's nothing. Like you can do all of this. I I um I I've been deep in the the paint of of uh, designing book boxes and stuff because I went to art school and I can do this for myself, um, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, because now I'm like I can make custom washi tape. Who wants custom washi tape? <laughs> um, like ridiculous. It's it's I've gone down a very deep hole, but. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. I'm like, great. And then I'm like, but I do need to finish the file. <laughs> like, I do, ah, I got to do that. And I'm like, well, what if I just continue to design tape instead? And then, <laughs> but then I book needs to be, <laughs> book needs to be done, Abigail. You've got to do that or else there's nothing. That's the plane. That's what's keeping me in the air. And, and that's one thing when people ask like how I've been able to be so productive and written so many books and so forth is that it's I prioritize the writing over everything else that's the one thing that has to get done yeah I mean you can make beautiful graphics and you can do great advertising but if the book doesn't exist then um it means nothing (laughs) so um speaking of things that mean nothing I have various social media things that you can follow if you want um no pressure, but you can if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can catch me at Kingdom Thirst everywhere, but also, um, or except for places I'm not, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not going to get on TikTok. Don't ask me to do that. Yes, she will. Um, yes, she will. 
I just, I do, I have so many things, Jeffy. I just, I, know. I, I, I have TikTok on my list. Learn to do TikTok. I, I, I'm, I'm, it is the most to, to do all of the things. And then I got to worry about what people think of my face. Yeah. No, no, but, uh, I, I also have Abigail K. Kelly. That's on Twitter. You can follow me there. I just posted some, uh, Ruby Dixon fan art today. Uh, that was entirely self-indulgent. Uh, I did. It's not, it's not of Ruby Dixon. That would be weird, but it's of her, her universe. Um, I did a, I did a big poster. Uh, it, it doesn't look like it, but it is actually size 17 by 24 in his actual poster size. And I did, um, the most important planets in her universe. Um, and, uh, you can, you can see that there on my social media. If you want to print it out and make it a poster for yourself, I don't care. Go ahead and do that. Um, whatever gets people reading Ruby's books. Um, but uh, I also have a Patreon where I publish my serialized fiction. Um, so I have Concerts Glory. It's going right now. We are... Oh, what's this week? Oh, we're going to be at Chapter 10 this week. And Chapter 10's a big one. Chapter 10's a big one, guys. So, um... <laughs> I keep forgetting that that's some things are revealed in this chapter. Um, but if you want to follow that, you can do that over on Patreon, patreon.com slash works by Abigail. I also release, I don't know if it's a clinical term, but um, let's say uh, an ass load of, <laughs> of novellas on there. I do a novella about every other month essentially, um, that gets serialized. And then um, once the serialization is done, all the tiers are able to read it. Um, this one that's currently going is all about uh, a dragon shifter and and a human scientist who's like a weather scientist. Um, she has chickens. And it's great. Um, and he just wants to build the most bodacious pillow nest with her and she doesn't know what's going on. Um it's fun. So there's stuff like that. And I'll be announcing probably the next novella very soon, which is, oh, I'm very excited about it. I'm wanting to write this one for ages. So you can get on that. You can also pre-order the books, whatever. You can, all the links are below, you know, whatever, if you're, if you're into it. If you feel a spirit move, you drop a review, but whatever. I'm just glad, I'm just glad that you listened and had a good time. I'm going to assume you had a good time, listener, because I don't want to hear about it if you don't. <laughs> so... Alrighty, Jeffy. It has been absolutely wonderful having you on. Thank you so much for being here. Sure, it's been fun. Well, it has. You know what? I have basked in your glow <laughs> and your accomplishments. I've gotten a tan from the sunshine that is your presence. Well, and you've got the golden eyeshadow and the golden nails. That's true. You know. You know. I was just trying to match your statue so you would notice me. Yeah. Well, you know. That's legit. I hope it works. Yes. Alrighty. Uh you can find all of Jeffy's links below, all of those things, her website, book stuff, all this, social media. It's all gonna be there. So do click on that. Um, and I'll talk to all of you guys next week. Alright, that's it. Bye! Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.